Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 205 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, April 13th, 2020. Hope everybody had a happy Easter weekend. We are back with the show. The pandemic continues. The lockdown continues throughout much of the world. But we have more basketball to talk about, even though there's no basketball being played, except for that that horrendous horse tournament that went on over the weekend. I don't know. Oh, if God, that was awful. That was I, awful. Didn't see, I didn't see it, but Chauncey Billups is still in it. So, Mr. Big Shot. Bloop, bloop. I, love, I, I love retired players being in the horse tournament. However... We're here to talk about Duke things, so let's get to that as soon as we introduce ourselves, as usual. I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein. I am coming to you from Durham, North Carolina, where I am just wrapping up business school very shortly. In Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. Jason, how's the family doing? How's everybody doing in lockdown? Uh, we are fine and dandy. We uh, we have not been out at all, other than um, for me to pick up a pizza, which we immediately heated above 180 degrees, as we have been instructed to do so, um, for almost two weeks. So in the next few days, I will have to venture out. I need to get dog food, and I need to get fresh fruits and meat. All right. So you're doing a good job. Donald Wine, I think, is still in Charlotte. Is that right? That is correct. Still here, uh, still living, still breathing. And it's actually a beautiful day after a weekend, at least on Sunday and Monday, uh, early Monday of of huge storms that affected a lot of the South and the East Coast. So uh, uh, we're pretty fortunate in that regard. Yeah, we had tornado warning this morning uh, from from Duke. Uh, so I, I woke up to the text message that said that the tornado warning was on and then it was right off again. But I was inside. So so there you go. No tornadoes took took me out today. The virus hasn't taken me out. So we shoulder on. There is we, we so we wanted to talk about more player news because we thought more was going to come out over the weekend. There was uh, some commentary from Cassius Stanley that maybe Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt had decided to stay. That was a, I guess then they walked that back. Maybe those guys haven't decided what they're doing yet. But anyway, Vernon Carey did commit to the NBA. He's leaving. We knew that this was coming. This has been weeks or I guess months in the making because we've seen what a phenomenal player Carey was, National Freshman of the Year, uh, All-ACC, the whole nine yards. He was fantastic for Duke this year. So let's just take a couple minutes and appreciate the Vernon Carey experience. Donald, I'll start with you. What are you going to remember most about Vernon Carey in his season at Duke? The way he could take over games. Uh, I mean, there were stretches where it seemed like our offense was the get the ball to Will offense, except it was the get the ball to Vernon offense. And he delivered every single time. There was times where you could throw three or four guys at him and he was not going to be stopped. He could not be contained. Uh, he could lay it in with, you know, with finesse, even when he stepped out and took a three pointer, it was very calculated and he knew exactly, you know, where he needed to be on the court at all times. Uh, so I, I really appreciated that part of his game. And, and really, if you look at the stats, he had one of the more remarkable freshman seasons that we've seen from anyone in the Duke uniform. It's, it's, it's almost a shame that he, had to come after last year's freshman class that had two of, you know, also two of the best in the year before that. But he's just continuing that trend of, of freshmen coming in and making an extreme high impact uh, on the team. And so I will definitely miss that. We'll definitely miss him in the middle of next year uh, because I don't think anyone in college basketball could really contain him when he's on. Jason, give me some thoughts on Vernon Carey and maybe 
talk a little bit about what you expect from him at the next level, because we've, we've said a little bit about how, look, Kerry is probably more of a traditional big than what NBA teams are looking for in 2020, but he was able to step out and make some threes this year. He was able to operate on the perimeter. What do you think his potential is at the next level? Let me start with uh, just a quick college thing. I think Vernon Care. I think it's unfortunate. I don't think he gets enough credit for what a what a great season he had. If you look at his per forty minute stats, I mean, he he didn't play um, quite as many minutes per game as as some of the other Duke stars of recent years. Um, there there are a lot of different reasons for that. I mean, some of it may have been conditioning. Some of it may have been fouls. Um, you know, some of it might game- yeah. yeah just nature of games and stuff. But if you look at like his stats over like per 40 minutes, you know, if he played a full 40 minutes, th- this is a guy who, who averaged more points per game and more rebounds than, than Marvin Bagley did. I mean, think about how great a season Marvin Bagley had and, and Vernon Carey's season actually compares pretty favorably over per 40 minutes to Zion Williamson, not quite Zion, but pretty darn close. So this was a really, really special season from him. Now, in terms of how it translates to the next level, uh, the thing I saw from Vernon that, that makes me think he's going to be successful in the NBA is that um, he, he was a big, he's a big burly guy. There's no question about that. This is a physically strong, physically imposing 270 pound beast on the inside. So you're not gonna be able to move him. Even, even in the NBA where they are strong guys, they're not gonna be able to move him very easily. But I was impressed with his ability, and we saw this from Zion last year. Vernon Carey was the same way. Incredibly soft touch on the way he he scored and, and the way he put up the basket, the, the ball when he was inside and, and was able to do it in athletic ways at, at strange angles uh, from both, you know, not, not dominant right or left-handed. Like I, I, he was able to do it with both hands. And I think that's going to serve him really well at the next level. There are a lot of guys who are post players who come into the NBA and suddenly find it's hard to push people around. And these guys that they play in the NBA are really long can really block shots. And, and suddenly guys who, you know, had it easy in college do not have it easy in the NBA. And I'm not saying Vernon's going to have it easy in the NBA, but I think he may do better than some people expect at finishing um, at an NBA level. And then the other thing to remember and we never saw this from him for the most part. This was a guy who played on the perimeter in high school. We saw him take that outside shot and he showed that he can hit three pointers. Um, he hit 38% of his threes for Duke. Um, I think he's going to be able to venture outside uh, when he gets to the NBA. I'm not saying he's going to shoot a lot of threes, but he'll be able to shoot some, I bet. If Lance not Thomas his- can turn into an NBA, to a three-point shooter in the NBA, Vernon Carey oh, Vernon exactly. Carey can, yeah. Shooter and, in the NBA. And look, most most mock drafts are projecting him in the late twenties or so, maybe maybe mid twenties. And there are even some folks who say he goes in the second round. I think we're going to look back on this, and Vernon Carey should be a top fifteen pick. I, I I really think this is a guy who's going to surprise the NBA with his ability to go inside and out, and and his ability to finish. And and, and let's also remember he was a very good shot blocker. He's not a guy who's known really long. You know, he doesn't have the crazy kind of length that that some some guys coming in the NBA do, but he was a really good shot blocker. And I think he's going to have a very nice NBA career. I think one guy that you, that I'm looking for uh, him to kind of look, look to, to model his game. Uh, if he could become 
somewhat like Montrez Harrell is for the Clippers, he's going to have a really good career. And I think he has the qualities that can translate from college to the NBA. He He's probably going to have to become more uh, – uh, not necessarily efficient, but he has to slim down a little bit, but really just get that conditioning going because Montrez Harrell's motor is going all the time. And we saw that for a lot of stretches from uh, from, from Vernon Carey. And when he did that, he, that was when he was unstoppable. If he can – proceed to do that for you know 35 to 40 minutes a game he's going to be that Montrez Hill type of guy that that while he's a big man NBA teams will covet actually I don't think I I think especially early in his career we're going to see Vernon for like 15 maybe 20 minutes a game I don't think he's going to be a starter right away um, yeah, I'm not saying right away, we, but I think eventually yeah. if he can model off that, because remember, Montrezl Harrell didn't just walk into the starting lineup when he got into right. the NBA. It took he was, him building up that one in college, though. Yes, like we, he was a remember, absolute. Beast. We remember Duke having to play against Montrezl Harrell. Oh uh, yeah, how awesome! Talk, was. Like, oh, it, talk about like guys that you never wanted to see. Like it was always like, man, we have to play Montrezl Harrell again. Like, please stop. Like that guy was a man in college. Donald, I, I think that's a that's a great comparison because you know we've. We've done a lot on this show talking about the comparisons between Vernon Carey and Jalil Okafor, um, given that they appear to be friends and that Okafor was sort of coaching Carey over the summer and getting him ready to go to Duke. But yeah, there are so many uh, NBA big men now who are in that 6'10", 6'11", 7-foot range and are thick like Carey is, but who can still run the floor. And you have to be, you have to be skilled in all those ways to succeed in today's NBA. And, and I think, as we've said, his conditioning is probably not there yet, but he's probably not expected to be a 35 minute a game player. So he should grow into that role. He'll be playing, you know, more games a week next year and traveling, uh, traveling a lot more than he was at Duke. But, but I, I think you'll see all those things improve from Kerry. And we know from this season at Duke and, and from talking to him that he's very mature about the way that he thinks about his game. You know, he, he always looks very focused and, you can tell that he is working hard on lots of different aspects of his game at once. And that that progress is manifesting even during the season. And and let me close really quick with this. The key for him is going to be defense. Um, In the NBA, you don't get on the floor if you don't play defense, unless you're someone who's just an unbelievable shooter from, from the perimeter. There are a couple guys like that, but for the most part, you don't play if you can't guard someone. And, and so I think it's going to be really, really important for him. Uh, you know, we talk about working on that conditioning. Part of that conditioning is, is getting quicker, um, you know, taking some of the weight off and replacing it with some fast twitch muscle. And uh, I, I think that's going to be the, the determinant as to whether Vernon Carey is able to make the leap from a guy who plays a little bit to a guy who plays a lot. Um, and I think we saw flashes of it at times at Duke. Uh, we, I mentioned he was a really good shot blocker. Um, and, in general, I thought he was a good defender, um, um, and, and he's going to have to carry that over. That's that is the key, um, and that's the key thing to to look for as as we see whether or not he becomes another very significant Duke player in the NBA, which I think he has the potential to do. So, as we say farewell to Vernon Carey and hope that the NBA draft happens at some point this summer and Carey ends up on an NBA team. We're going to look back now and have a conversation with a great Duke big man from the past, a man that I think most of our listeners, hopefully all of our listeners are familiar with. That's going to be Carlos Boozer. He obviously was at Duke for the 2001 national championship team, uh, played with Chris Duhon, who was recently on the program here. So we're going to take a quick break. 
and catch up with now ACC network analyst, Carlos Luzon. Duke fans, um, we are now joined by one of the all-time greats, Carlos Boozer, a national champion, a a longtime NBA uh, success story, and now, currently, um, one of the voices of the ACC Network, someone who is paid to watch ACC basketball. Carlos, thanks for joining us here on the DBR podcast. Hey, guys, I feel like I'm stealing money, man. I get to watch great basketball, and, and they get to pay me to do it. It's incredible, man. How you guys doing? We are, we are great. And uh, I'm going to let Donald start things off. He was in school the same time you were. So we're going to start with a few questions about life at Duke back in the early 2000s. Okay. All right, Carlos, this is Donald. Uh, again, thanks for being on. Uh, I'm a couple years younger than you, so I was able to witness uh, the greatness that was 2001. Uh, but let's start first off. You came to Duke in 1999. Uh, the program had just missed the national championship the year before, probably arguably his best team to not win. Uh, what was that transition like? You came from Alaska to the ACC. What was that transition like? And did you receive any tips from the Alaskan assassin on how to shorten that learning curve? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate, man. I, I got a chance in high school. Uh, first, I mean, my dad was my first coach, and I got a really great coach in high school named George Houston, who was terrific, uh, just teaching the game of basketball and the fundamentals and motion offense, and then um, travel basketball was just kind of starting out when I was in high school. So AAU was very new to everything, very new to me, and I played for EBO uh, for Darren Matsubara, which uh, started a, a, a franchise out of Fresno, California, which was EBO, which stands for Elite Basketball Organization, and we were loaded. I mean, we me, Deshaun Stevenson, Matt Barnes, Ray Young, uh, Drew Gooden, Brett Nelson. We had a we had a ton of a ton of guys on the team that ended up becoming pros, and we traveled around since I was like a eighth grader all the way to my senior year of high school playing against great competition. So I was used to playing against the top competition in the country at the high school level. And then when you know when I obviously made the choice to go to Duke after everybody recruited me, it didn't stop. It only got better. I, I went to a team that already had six or seven McDonald's All Americans on it. Then you added me, Jay Will, and Mike Dunleavy and Casey Sanders, who were also McDonald's All-Americans, and they lost Trajan, Elton Brand, and, and Corey Maggetti, and William Avery. So we kind of replaced those guys. And you're right, they just missed the championship game by a really good UConn team led by Rip Hamilton. I think he got the MOP in that tournament or that, that Final Four. Um, and then we came in. So the ACC was loaded. I mean, Carolina was great with Ed Coda and, and, and those guys, Brendan Haywood. They got Joe Forte, who was also in our class. As a freshman, um, Georgia Tech was good. Uh, NC State was good. Every team just seemed to be – the ACC was loaded from top to bottom. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was one of those things where me and we just got thrown into the fire. We had to be great right away because at Duke is championship or bust. There is no honorable mentions. There's no in-between. Like, we, we go there to play against the top competition, to be a part of that Duke-UNC robbery to play for a legendary coach, uh, probably the best coach in, in, in college basketball, one of the best coaches in, in sports, period, and Coach K, and then ultimately to get to the NBA, to get good enough to become an NBA player. So when I got there, it was work to be done. I mean, we they're coming off a season where they just missed out on the championship. Uh, we had Shane Battier, who was our player of the year and defensive player of the year. He was phenomenal. Uh, Nate James, Chris Carroll, those were our captains. 
and we missed we, we lost in the Sweet 16 our freshman year. But the it's crazy how the agony of defeat can teach you the lessons that you need to be successful. Because the following year we we carried that pain from losing in the Sweet 16 throughout the entire season, and that helped propel us to a championship uh, in 2001 against Arizona. So I want to I want to jump to 2001 because one of the turning points, uh, I, one of the more signature points of that season, and this is not a, a, any shade of you whatsoever, but is when you went down with that foot injury. A lot of us were thinking, "Wow, this we, we just lost Boozer. This this is over." Mm-hmm. What and, and there's the famous quote of Coach K saying, "We're going to win the national championship." First of all, what was that rehab schedule to get back? And did you think that you were going to come back and be able to contribute to the team in the Final Four or, or even any part of, of the rest of the season? Yeah, the timing of it was bizarre. It was towards the end of our regular season, right before the ACC tournament. And so the timing of it was like, dang, I've all time. And I was rolling, too. I, was, I mean, I was putting up crazy numbers. Our team, I think we were winning like 11 or 12 games in a row. We were on a hot winning streak. It was at it was during the Maryland game at home, and I had like a hairline fracture of what of, of one of my meta, metacarpals or metatarsals. Or I don't know how you say that word <laughs> on my foot, and the doctor told me right away you'll, you'll, it'll be about four to six weeks. So I had time if my team, you know, we were loaded, but if if my team could find ways to win during the tournament to be able to come back, and you know, Jay will just you know, Coach K challenged Jay will to do even more. Um, because it had been without my, you know, 18, 20 points a game or whatever it was, and Jay took it on. Shane took on that challenge. Uh, so did Dunleavy and the rest of the group. And Casey Sanders played a huge role because he really wasn't playing a lot before that, and then now he was kind of thrusted into the into the starting lineup where he had to be productive. And he did great, man. Casey was 6'11", run the floor all day long, block shots, rebound, catch out Ukes, caused havoc in there, put pressure on the rim by just sprinting the court. And did a great job. And so our team went on like an eight, nine game winning streak. We got hot at the right time. And I was able to come back for that uh, for that final four. And then the first game back was, was against Maryland. We were down by 22. We came back, uh, won that game in the, in, the, in the semifinal. Coach K went with Casey Sanders to start start the you know, the same starting group that we had had since I got hurt. And we had won almost hey, every Hey, game. Carlos, Carlos, just really quickly, can I ask? You guys are down yeah. 22. Was there 22. any... Yeah, in that semifinal game against Maryland, you you glossed over it, man. What was that like? Was there any panic? That that year, our biggest rivalry really wasn't Carolina. Our biggest competition in the ACC was Maryland. You know, we were both top five the entire season, and every every team that won that, that those games, we played them four times that year, was down at halftime. You know, I mean, it was like the the team that was down at halftime came back to win three out of four of those games. So when we got down, we got down early, and we—I don't know what it was—but there was a calm in our huddle, like we knew that if we took a possession by possession, we'd have a chance at the end of the game to be victorious. And you know, our, our leader of the team was Shane Battier, which he, he doesn't get enough credit for how great of a job he did leading us and always keeping us on the straight and narrow and keeping us focused. But he had this great poise about him, like a poker player, and literally just play by play, we we fought back into that game. And then we, you know, we took control of it towards the end of the game. Yeah. So, of course, in 2001, we won the national championship. In my opinion, one of the greatest teams that we've ever had. In your mind, is it one of the best teams that we've had? Is there one that can compete with them? Oh, no question, man. Coaches have some phenomenal teams at Duke. You know, a lot of us got turned on by Duke with Grant Hill and 
you know, uh, Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, that whole squad kind of got us excited about being a part of Duke because of the history of what they were able to accomplish, four Final Fours, back-to-back champions. That was that. That's the one team that I, that me and Jay will always talk about would have been an interesting matchup for us because they were loaded, we were loaded. We had seven pros on our team, you know, um, from you know Chris, Chris Duhon, Jay Will, uh, Shane Battier, Mike Dunleavy, myself, Dante Jones, and Daniel Ewing. We all became pros, so, so it, it had been it had been an interesting matchup with that group of guys because they were you know Grant Hill was probably the best the best player. Uh, come to come out of Duke, I and mean, obviously with the injuries, shortened up his NBA career. But he was phenomenal. And if he would never got hurt, we'd be talking about Grant as being one of the best players of all time. Okay, so last game of your college career, we're playing Indiana, 2002. We we've had some people on the show that were a part of this game. They give given different takes, but were you fouled? You know what? I I don't even know. You know, we were down by four. Jay Will made a miraculous shot from the top of the key, got fouled, went to the free throw line to tie the ball game up to give us a chance to go to overtime, misses the free throw. I don't even know how I ended up with the ball off that off that miss of that free throw. Got the ball, went up. I haven't I have you know what's funny? Eighteen years later, whatever it's been, I still haven't watched the replay of that of that play. I don't even know. I was gonna but ask if you'd ask the replay. We we thought we thought we had a real chance to repeat. You know, we're up by we're up 19 that game. We had a chance to to win that game, but we fell short, and then uh, that ended our our chance to repeat as champions. All right, Carlos, I want to transition now to your professional career. Uh, you obviously played mm-hmm. in the NBA for a long time, but coming out of Duke, you were a second round pick. You came out after mm-hmm. three years. Did you are uh, did you have a Draymond Green style list of all the guys that were drafted ahead of you that you knew you had to be better than to prove everybody wrong, or or were you just taking taking your lumps and and seeing what opportunities were ahead? Yeah, you know it's funny. When most people do their job interviews, they get silently turned down. You know what I mean? Like they, you know, oh, we'll call you, and you never get a call back. But nobody ever knows that you you were on the job interview. When you when you go to Duke and you have a great successful career in college and your, the draft comes up. Everybody watches you drop and drop and drop and drop and drop. And so I'm like, I'm like, what is going on? I'm calling my agent. You know, I, you know, what's what's? Cause I was projected to be drafted between 10 and 19, like in that, you know, late lottery, right just before the, the the back of the first round. And next thing, I what happened was that was the first year that NBA teams could pick a guy from overseas and leave him overseas, and I have to bring him to to the NBA. And I, I, I became uh, subject to that to that new rule because my, my name just kept dropping. I'm getting guys are getting picked, and I never heard these guys. I'm looking at their stats; they're averaging like eight points a game overseas. I'm like, dang, did I not have a good career? So, so because of that, it motivated the crap out of me. And I had a I had a, a, a the size of like a, a huge golden nugget as far as having a chip on my shoulder, um, where I had I felt like I had something to prove. You know, I, I wanted to prove that every GM that overpassed me because some, I went second round. I was the fifth pick in the second round. And some teams uh, overlooked me twice. So I had a huge chip on my shoulder where I couldn't wait to play everybody. I couldn't wait to play the guys. But more importantly, I couldn't wait to play, you know, the, the teams and the coaches and the GMs that overlooked me. So, you know, I was very motivated going into the NBA. And uh, I thought I did a pretty good job of proving that I belonged. You had a, like we said, you had a long career. You had long stints with, with a couple franchises where you were really successful, particularly Utah and Chicago. Is there 
a franchise or a particular year or team that you identify most with when you look back on your NBA career? Yeah, a couple of them. You know, I went to, when I went to Utah, Coach Sloan gave me the opportunity to really uh, shine and become a star. And so I became a two-time NBA All-Star in Utah, partnered up with Darren Williams, who was my also one of the All-Stars with me. And uh, we got a chance to, to really thrive. And then when I went to Chicago, we it was more of a team. Like that team was built around Derrick Rose, where we had all-stars at each position. And Joe Kim Noah was also a defensive player of the year. Um, we just didn't have D. Rose healthy in the postseason to really make a, a championship run, which is when you need your best player, at, you know, the, the most at the end. Um, so I, I had a those, – those are the two moments. Like I would say Coach Sloan and me and Darren getting a chance to become stars in Utah and learn what it's like to really to really lead a team at that level. And in Chicago, I just had the best group of guys. It was almost like a college atmosphere where we really had a chance to win a championship, except we just didn't have our best player healthy at the end of the season. Looking back on all those teams, who's the who do you think is the best player that you played with? And, and you've got a long list of great players that you played with. And then who was the Ooh. toughest uh, deep, who was the toughest defensive assignment that you had to take? Like if you were playing against that guy, you were like, "Ugh, I got to play him tonight. Yeah. I mean, I played, I played alongside some great players. Like I had LeBron his rookie year in Cleveland, but then, you know, I'm playing with these guys on all-star teams and playing with them in the Olympics. Um, LeBron and Kobe are the two best players that I played with. Just spectacular careers, champions on every level, MVPs, and you know there'll be Hall of Famers for sure. Um, I think I think Derrick Rose was was probably the guy that if he never got hurt would have been on that list as well as far. But when I played with him in 2010, he was spectacular. He won the MVP that year with us and um, did a phenomenal job. I think that his his career was also cut a little bit short because of those five or six years where he was hurt every year even though he's been playing great since he's been coming back from the injury. But LeBron and Kobe are the two best, best players that I played I played uh, with. And then as far as there's two guys that were just nightmares to go against, and that was Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. When KG was in Minnesota, and a little bit in Boston, but more in, in Minnesota, he had, much, he had much more on his shoulders in Minnesota. He had a lot more help in Boston. And Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas. Those two guys were nightmares, man. They could do everything, go inside, go outside. KG was probably the best defensive big guy I ever played against in my life. He could guard the pick and roll. He can guard you one-on-one. He was a great help side defender. He could score in the, in the, on the block from the perimeter. Great passer, great shot blocker. Dirk Nowitzki had every move that guards have, but he was seven feet. He could take you off the dribble. He could shoot behind the line. He made his free throws. He was, uh, those two guys were nightmares. All right. So Carlos, after the NBA career ends, you have this new career now as an ACC Mm -hmm. analyst and God, like we said, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous (laughs) that you get to do this. (laughs) Hey, uh, we, we never got to see an ACC tournament. We never got to see the ACC teams play in the NCAA tournament. Um, put that analyst hat on for me. Tell me how you think the ACC tournament would have turned out. Um, and, and then after that, I'm going to ask you a little bit of how, how you think this Duke team would have turned out if we'd gotten to actually see them in the postseason. But start with the ACC tournament. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, it would have been great, man. I mean, we, had, we had like the first couple of days out there. We didn't really get down to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you know, because that's when the virus really hit prominently and then everybody got sent home. Um, 
but no, the ACC was great this year. So many great stories. Um, you know, Louisville did terrific. Florida State winning the ACC was magnificent. But the job that Leonard Hamilton has done down there uh, has been tremendous. Um, but they have, it seems like they have seven or eight guys who are just just the same. Like they're both six seven. All of them are six seven, six eight. Extremely athletic. They can switch everything. Um, they're very, very good. And then, you know, Duke had a great year as well. They, they overcame a lot. They were very young, huge ceiling. Um, and a couple of surprise teams that popped up as well. Virginia was able to sneak in there. I feel like it would have been a great ACC tournament. You know, I, I, I think that if I had to pick a team, I think uh, Florida State had the momentum going into the into the tournament. But Louisville was very good with you know, Jordan Nawara, <clears throat> Jordan Nawara leading the way. Um, Trey Jones really stepped up huge for Duke being player of the year and defensive player of the year in the ACC. He would have led that Duke team probably to the championship game, and we would have, we would have watched one hell of a championship game. Um, but it was it was a fun year in the ACC. All right, so talking about that that Duke team, how do you think they would have done in the NCAA tournament? Um, you mentioned they were really young, yeah. but by the end of the season, these freshmen are pretty much sophomores at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, they would do well. I mean, obviously, depending on their lineup and their matchups and who they played against, because the tournament is really about matchups. You, you may play a team that you've never really watched on TV, but they match up well against you, and they've got juniors and seniors that stayed in school, so you're playing against men, you know, to that, to that degree when you're a freshman. The Duke team really grew up. Like Vernon Carey Jr. really blossomed throughout the course of the season. I thought he did a great job of, of, of manning down the paint, scoring and rebounding and blocking shots. I think Cassius Stanley was like their – their X factor to me, you know, Trey Jones and Vernon Carey Jr. showed up every night. They were terrific every night. Um, and I, and I felt like Cassius Stanley was that guy that could take them from, uh, losing any game to winning every game. If he had a big game, they were almost virtually a lock in to win. And if he struggled offensively, they could lose any game. He was like that third guy, like the barometer for that team to see if they were going to have a successful night. All right, so Carlos, there is one thing that we do with every former Dukey that we have on, and, and this is it. We're about to set you free after this. But before you go, <laughs> I, I, I need a Coach K story. And I, I got to tell you, we've had some great ones. Uh, we, yeah. Shane Battier told us stories. We got, some, we got some good stories from Chris Duhon just a couple weeks ago. We need yeah. a good story from you, you know, something about how Coach K motivated you guys or some crazy story. I got one something... for you, yeah. Oh, let's hear it. it, it, it I'm, I'm ready. It comes I'm to ready. my mind right away. I mean, we – we're in the middle of our of our season. This is our championship season, and we're struggling a little bit. We're we're still very hungry, but we're not playing at our potential, and we can all feel it. You know, um, we lost a game at Clemson. I think it was Clemson, or either the Clemson or Florida State, a, a, a game that we all felt like we should have won, but we lost. Come home, and we got you know Maryland, who was our like I said that year we won a championship in '01. Maryland and us matched up very well against each other. They were very good. We were very good. So we have them coming into our, our building. And Coach felt like we weren't in attack mode. Like we weren't – the game that we lost to either Clemson or Florida State prior to this Maryland game, he felt like we were very passive as a group, you know, collectively. And so, you know, we go to class whatever, we come back from class, we get over to, I get over to the arena, to the, to the gym, to Cameron Indoor Stadium, come in the locker room, and there's white pieces of paper everywhere. It looks like it snowed inside of Cameron Indoor. Like, we walk in the hallway that goes to our locker room, you open the locker room door, and it's white, white, little pieces of white paper all over the locker room. 
I can't even sit in my locker. Like, can't go in the bathroom, can't go in the weight room, can't go to the court. All you can do is just kind of look. So we're all, I get in there, then everybody else, my teammates trickle in, fall in line, and we're in there sitting down, and we're like, what is going on? There's one word on every piece of, of paper in the locker room, and it's the word attack. He felt like we didn't do that. And so he put that, he put that on every piece of paper. Then once we had every, every player in the locker room, a movie, uh, Braveheart, I don't know if you remember the movie, but in the movie Braveheart, there's a part where, where the, the star of the movie is riding on a horse and he's kind of pumping his, his troops up, his, his warriors up before they go into battle. So that scene, Coach K plays that part of the, of the movie for us. And so we watch that clip where he's getting his guys riled up, and then Coach K does a somersault, like rolls into the locker room with a with a like a, a army helmet on, and goes, "Let's attack!" Like screams it at the top oh of his lungs, and we're just like we're like yo, like if like we got so pumped to play that game, like our head coach, Hall of Famer, has coached countless pros has the the veracity and the imagination to come in here and motivate us for this one game during the regular season to get us back on track does like does a roll somersault almost into the locker room and screaming at the top of his lungs at 55 or 60 years old to attack now we got so pumped up we went out there and smashed maryland by like 25 points bro and, I love and it. by the way, survivor of what? At least one surgery, one back surgery to that point, and, uh, by and that, uh, yeah, and then, he, and then he had two hip surgeries after. He had two hips. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a great one, I believe. Yeah, Coach Coach K. As, as far as motivating, Coach K is one. He's at the top of the list, man, for me. As far as coaches that motivate you, he's phenomenal. Well, that that is a good one. Thank you, sir. You you have you have succeeded in your task. We can now set you free. <laughs> And Thank by you. the way, we're we're gonna have you back in the fall. Anytime, anytime. I'll have when, more time. Yeah, when the anytime. ACC starts up again, we're gonna have you back on, man. Because like we say, you get paid to watch ACC basketball. We we want to pick oh, your brain. Man. Anytime. So thanks again to Carlos Boozer for his contribution to the show this week. We appreciated hearing about his time at Duke, his time in the NBA, and certainly about his time now on the ACC Network. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll have him back, as he said, uh, sometime in the fall when the ACC season gets going again so that we can get his thoughts on all the rest of the teams that Duke is going to be playing next year. But we have one more topic that we want to cover today, and that is something that the Duke men's basketball social media team was uh, tweeting out and Instagramming today. They put out a, for folks who haven't seen it yet, you should go look it up at all of the Duke men's basketball social media pages. They put out a Duke men's basketball fan bingo card. And the three of us all took a look at it. And I think we ended up with, I have, I'm only missing three of the, <laughs> of the items in the bingo card. Jason, I think is only missing three and Donald is maybe missing four. But can we can we wait? So, yeah, so we have a lot of gonna, bingos, a lot of bingos. a lot of bingos, but, but I'm going to start. I'm going to start a of, with a little I got, controversy. I think I got seven bingos. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to start with a little controversy here because okay, you have some controversy. So let's let's talk through the items of controversy and come to some conclusion about them. And then if there are any stories that are that are important about 
any of the the spots on the bingo card we uh let, let let's hash that those out and by the way before we get into this if you did better than missing only three or getting more than seven bingos which i think was the best we did among this group send us an email dbrpodcast at gmail.com we would love to know about how you are bigger Duke fans or have been to more <laughs> impressive Duke games than we have, because we we think that, a, that between the three of us, we're doing a pretty good job. So, so Donald, what do you have? So the first controversy is seeing Duke win a national championship. Now, that would mean on paper, you would think that would mean that you were in the building for one of the five national championships I in the actual means. stadium. I However. Yeah, it's got to be in the building because it's because. However, I mean, it's wait, wait, let me finish. Right, so, so Donald, Donald has finished. Excuse for not being in the, or he was probably in the second best place, which is where. Yeah. If you are a student and you were able to watch the game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, I consider that watching Duke win a national championship because that is the only time that we can storm the court, as Coach K would say. So I have stormed the court at Cameron. And here's the thing, though. As a student, I mean, it's a little different now because they have student tickets that are a lot cheaper. Back when I was in school in 2001, those tickets were 500 real American dollars, not food points, real American dollars. <laughs> and if you don't have if you don't have 500 real American dollars, you weren't going to the, to the game. You couldn't. You no, couldn't you fly. couldn't pay for those on points. I, I, I tried. Trust me, I tried. But I would say as a student, if you were a student and you were you were not going to the game and you were going to Cameron where you could indeed be one of those few to rush the court at Cameron, I consider that being a part of the national championship. And that's why I counted it. So I'm trying to I'm trying to put this into my own context because I was a student in 2010 when Duke won the national championship. My roommate and I that year were both very big fans and we had this whole set of elaborate uh you, you could call them traditions, but they'd probably more accurately be superstitions about watching all the away games because we went to all the games in Cameron. We'd watch all the other games in our room and we had a certain, we had like a seating arrangement. We had certain food. We had certain people who could come in. So for the tournament, we just kept it that way. And and we were, we watched- It's not crazy if it works. It, we watched all the tournament games in our room. And so we did that for the national championship. Everybody else went to Cameron Indoor. We had like, Five or six guys in our room who watched the game, just just the small group of us, and then we ran to the to the quad to celebrate with everyone because we were on West Campus anyway. So I'm trying to think if because I've been I went to the national championship game as listeners may remember back in 2015. I know Jason's been to one of them. So, 1992, baby. 1992. I was at the final. Was I was at the final four game that never happened. So I should have been at a national championship game. I am. But I'm trying to. Mecca Oakford trying to took it from me. John, I'm trying to put myself into your shoes and thinking: Would I say that I've seen Duke win a national championship if I just had my experience from college and not the 2015 experience? I'm leaning towards yes. I feel like you you got a a uniquely Duke version of watching the team win the national championship. And then you got to cross off another bingo square just a few minutes after that by going to burn benches on the quad, I assume. Absolutely. And I actually have a, a video, a VHS of that day. Yes. That's how long ago it was. I have a VHS of that day that I recorded on my big ass camcorder. You should convert that. I should try. I need, well, I had to go to my parents' house and find it, but I, I do have it and it does feature national champion Andre Sweet in it because Andre Sweet, as many people do not remember, was suspended for that game, and so he watched the game so with us in campus. Back on campus. 
He was on campus. <laughs> right, uh, he eventually transferred to Seton Hall right after that. So does Donald get credit for that one? Uh, <sighs> honestly, I'm taking I'm, credit for it. I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm going to grant it. I'm going to grant it. I, I, right, I think so now, so yeah. now we're all tied at three at, yeah. at, at, sorry, at missing three. Jason, do you have any, uh, either controversies or, or, or items on the bingo card that you wanted to highlight? Yeah. So first of all, I sort of thought I was only missing two. I want to know the definition of a Stones brother dagger because, uh, and, and what game were you considering with that? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I was thinking of the Georgia Tech game earlier this year, and Trey hit some huge, huge shots down the stretch, including ones when we, we, the game was tied, it, like with less than two minutes left, and he hit the go ahead shot, and then he drained a bunch of free throws. I mean, Trey I won like the game for us. I feel like the lasting highlight from that game is Cassius Stanley's dunk. So, yeah, but it, but but that was no no no. We don't win the game without Trey hitting the shots down the stretch. We don't. We just right. don't win the game without Trey hitting. Donald, what do you but, think? But the, I I would agree that's not that's not quite the same as as uh, his big brother against Virginia or the NCAA championship or or especially game, Trey against UNC. <laughs> yeah. So I was gonna say the, the game at UNC this year because I was at I was at you the were game at that game. And I was at the 2015 championship game. Those are, those are the daggers that I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I so think those are credit those for that one. three. Yeah. All, All right. right. If I don't or, get credit for that, then then I then I have three misses. Uh, by right. the way, my misses are: I do not have Zion's autograph. I don't own a pair of Kyrie's, and I I guess I've never seen a I've never been in person for a Stones Brothers dagger because uh, what he did against Tech doesn't count. So right, my Donald, three are you missing now. I'm sorry. So my three that I missed were I haven't seen a Stones Bro Dagger in person. Uh, I do not have Zion's autograph yet. And I don't have a pet. So thus, I don't have a pet with a Duke-themed name. And I, it, when Sam brought this to me on Instagram today, I did mention, damn, Jason's going to get us because he has Cameron. I got right. Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I'm, missing, I'm missing the pet as well. I'm, I doubt that I'm going to be crossing that one off anytime soon. I don't have Zion's autograph. I don't I'm not a big autographs guy, so I'm not sure that I'm going yeah, to. Yeah, neither am I. Yeah. Get that one. And although, I mean, you know, sometimes you get gifts from people or something. I'm more so. of a picture guy. Like, take a picture with yeah, them. And I like pictures. So last forever. One, yeah. one of the squares on the board is about taking a picture with old Duke players, and I got a, I got a lot of those. Um, so those are good. And I also don't own a pair of Kyrie's. I don't envision myself buying a new pair of basketball shoes anytime soon. So uh, those are the three that I'm missing that I probably won't make up anytime soon. Uh, I'm trying to think which, which one of these is the is the one that I'm that right, I wait, wait. Like. I, I want to know. So uh, one of the tough ones is made a basket in Cameron. Um, I want to know how. Ooh, yeah. you, uh, so I'll tell you how I. So I, I've made a bucket in Cameron on multiple occasions. One is we used to break into Cameron when we were camping out in line back in the 1980s. We would break in and, and play uh, basketball at night. We didn't do that often, but we did it a couple times. But the real way I've made a bucket in Cameron was. In 1987, they had tryouts for walk-ons. Like, they just said, anybody who wants to come try out to be a walk-on on the team. And, and those tryouts were in Cameron. And I played, I played out of my ass. I played the best I've ever played in my life. And I made, they, they, they sort of cutting us down. Um, there were about 40 or 50 guys who were there at first, and they cut us down to 10. And I made that final 10. And let me tell you, there were nine players on the floor who were way, way better than me at that point. <laughs> but I made a basket in Cameron with Coach K watching during the tryouts. So I think that's a pretty, right, that's pretty good. Point. Donald? 
So uh, I was headline monitor in 2003, 2004, as, as many of you guys out there know. So I didn't have to break into Cameron. I just walked in the front door. Uh, so anytime during tenting, which is back then was a three-month affair, uh, whenever I just wanted to blow off some steam, I would just go in there and shoot some hoops. Uh, whenever, Of course, whenever when there wasn't uh, uh, the basketball teams playing or practicing in there. But uh, I did get to actually dunk in Cameron. I had a boost. But I did dunk, and there is photographic evidence of me dunking. So uh, I do have that. Where I think we might need to review the tapes on that one. Mine, I have I've been in Cameron a few times where people were like playing pickup because sometimes they'll they'll let, um, especially like IM games will happen. But I specifically remember getting pulled out of the crowd, like out of the student section, uh, either when I was an undergrad or right after I graduated maybe and I was in the student section because I had snuck in but they pull out a handful of students to do like musical chairs where they also have to make a basket so it was during a basketball game when I was playing musical chairs and had to run up and like make a layup and then run back and sit in the chair and I think I came in second place so that's pretty good for somebody who otherwise has pretty limited athletic ability all right any really really quick there was a yeah. couple on here that I thought were other than the you know make a basket in Cameron yeah, sure. that I thought were, th- were two that I was I was really glad that we all got but also one that I think people will slip off on one obviously meeting Coach K uh, I think is great that we all have met him in real person in, in real life uh, at some point which is yeah, you know, hey, something what are the that. Circ- what are the circumstances there for you guys? For, for me, I met him. He came up in line and just chatted with those of us at the front of the line in 87 or 88. I forget when. Um, he did it a couple times. So that's when I've met him. How about you guys? So for me, the uh, I met him first. Uh, when I The night I became headline monitor, we had a big meeting because Kville the year before was one that was just off the rails. And people didn't really like the old headline monitor. So Coach K actually came to the, my meeting and was like, what do you need from me? How can I help? I want to make this right and, and really get the players and, and the team behind. So I got to converse with him quite a bit my senior year uh, when it came to stuff in Cameron programming. He basically gave us the whole run of the place. And that was really the start of Cameron or of Kville programming um, in, 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 you know, just during tenting season. So that was Really, like I got to interact with them quite a bit in that. I didn't get to go up to to you know to the top floor. I didn't get to press the button. But uh, hey, I, hey, Donald, you know, ad- admit it. When you get made headline monitor, there's a whole ceremony with cloaks and like paddles and things like that. It's it's that kind of thing, isn't it? You guys speak in special paddles. language. Nah, we don't do that. What special languages. Don't do that. Yeah, nah, we yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Your name's on there too, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know anything about malarkey. I I guess I've talked to Coach K a couple times. The most recently would be as a member of the media now, but prior to that. Uh, oh, does that count? Because I've done that. <laughs> sure. as, a, as an undergrad, uh, they brought all the freshmen into, I think they do this every year. They bring all the freshmen <laughs> into Cameron to sort of show them around and they teach them some cheers. And then they bring the team out and introduce the team. And and they had my year, they, they had a practice. So they let the freshman class watch the basketball team in practice and I was sitting in the front row and they had handed out pizza to everybody and coach K was kind of loitering at the bench like right in front of where I was sitting and I got his attention I was like hey coach do you do you want a slice of pizza and he turned around to me he goes no thank you and I was like all right well now I've talked to coach K so <laughs> I think that's I, th- I think that's sufficient for the purposes <laughs> that's sufficient he he responded to a question I I, I think that this called conversing I, with somebody I just asked him right uh, and all my friends around me were like why did you do that and I was like 
because I got to talk to Coach K. What do you mean? This is and this is here's obvious. the thing. Eighteen the, year the old. One, the one thing, switch uh, shifting gears. The one thing that I thought that was going to slip some people up. This was a great one, and it's really low key great. Who the people's champ is? There are oh, some on. people who are probably Nolan. like everyone knows Nolan. I, everyone knows well, Nolan. I think it was it was enough where some people were probably like the people. Oh, who is that? Uh, but it's it's funny because like literally like three days ago was his birthday, so they shouted him out. So if you just watched the Twitter in the last like week, you would have known that answer. But I think it was enough that people probably slipped up like I don't know who that is, so I probably haven't met him uh, or look, know who I'm he not, is. I'm not in the suit anymore, but you guys can both take credit for giving a high five to the Blue Devil since you've since you've both shaken my hand. So uh, I'll give you <laughs> I'll give you that one. All right, I used to, I, yes. <laughs> we will we will wrap the conversation up there. This has been a it's been a fun episode. We had we had yeah. a little bit of news, we had a little bit of interview, and we had a little bit of fun stuff to do. So the next time we get together, not exactly sure when it's going to be. I imagine that we will be discussing the decisions of Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore, because hopefully that news is coming out soon. Obviously, if there's any other interesting roster news, we'll get on and talk about that. We're working on some more guests that we're hopefully going to have on the show. Because of course there's no there's no real basketball coming anytime soon. Uh and again, if you have questions for us, please feel free to email them, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Give us your we're thoughts. We're doing a mailbag. The mailbag's on happening the, very soon. We're going to do well, so we we keep putting off the mailbag because we don't have to do it because we keep getting the interviews. So yeah. <laughs> we, we have some we have some questions in the back. We will address them all. We got we got one really good question recently that I, I know that I saw in the inbox about at the Coach K retirement, uh, that's mm-hmm. obvious. Not, that's a great uh, not, one. Not, not impending, but one that we will discuss. So we'll get to all of that here in the next uh, few weeks and months as we wait around for basketball and, and football to return or all sports to return. So in the meantime, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be here. We'll come back. We'll talk to you again soon. So for Donald Wine in Charlotte, returning to Washington, D.C. here very soon, for Jason Evans in Atlanta with his family and one pizza, apparently. I am Sam Klein <laughs> in Durham, North Carolina. This has been Duke Basketball Report Podcast, episode 205. Duke Band, take us home.